Oh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the bridge. We've been talking about uh, this thing being stuck at Christmas, and today we're wrapping up the series. And what we've been talking about is how we have a tendency at times to get stuck in life, uh, stuck emotionally, stuck relationally, financially, spiritually. And it seems like when the holidays come around, um, if we're stuck in something, it seems to magnify, you know, be magnified during the holiday season. And this whole stuck mindset, it really starts for some of us as kids, because as kids, we're told that Santa has a list and he's checking it twice and he's trying to find out who's naughty and who's nice. And we are, as kids, doing everything we can to try to stay off that naughty list. And yet we get stuck trying to stay off the list, but really being unable to do so, you know? And it's kind of like the kids that are in this video I wanted you to see. Check this out. Oh my goodness. Is it better to give or receive? Give. I mean, when they give, to me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's um, even as adults, right? I mean, even as adults, we, we struggle at times to acknowledge our own faults, right? I mean, I mean, maybe we will acknowledge, oh, I'm not perfect, nobody's perfect kind of thing, but we really do struggle to own up to the truth of who we are and the things that we think and the things that we do. It's just a hard thing to do. And uh, hopefully we never get hooked to a, a lie detector with Jimmy Kimmel on TV to, to acknowledge those things. But you know, there have been times as I talk to people along the way and, and, and just engage them in conversation and occasionally they'll move to a spiritual direction and we'll start talking about God and Jesus and heaven and things like that. And I'll, I'll ask, I'll say, do you know, I mean, if you were to die, do you know if you'd go to heaven? And most every one of them will say, yes. I, I've never had anyone say, no, nah, I think I'm gonna just bust hell wide open. That doesn't happen. Uh, but sometimes they'll occasionally say, I don't really know. But a lot of them will say yes. And when I ask, well, how do you know? I mean, what, what makes you think you'll go to heaven? And almost unanimously, they're gonna say, because I'm a pretty good person. Um, you know, I, I know people that are on the naughty list and I'm not like them and I'm a pretty good person compared to them. So I think God will look at me and he'll kind of see some of the good things I've done and it won't be as bad as some of the bad things. And so I think I'll, I'll get in. And, and the, the truth is, and a lot of times we don't know this, but God actually does have a list that he's able to check twice and it's called the 10 commandments. And the 10 commandments are there to really help us know whether we're naughty or nice. And so uh, I've written down some of them. Uh, we can kind of look at some of these just in case you're wondering if you're on what list you'd be on. Uh, the first one is don't lie. So I don't know if you've ever told a lie, but that's one. Uh, don't steal. Now, a lot of times we equate stealing with something that's really expensive. But you know, the truth is no matter the dollar amount, if you took something that didn't belong to you, that would be called stealing. Don't take God's name in vain. Honor your parents. I'm sure we've all done that. Um, don't murder. And again, you might go, well, I'm good there, which we appreciate. Uh, but then Jesus came along and he said, you know, the scripture says, do not murder. But I tell you, if you've had hatred in your heart toward another person, you've already committed murder. And so that kind of ruined it for a lot of us, right? Um, don't commit adultery. And you go, hey, that's good. I'm good there. And then Jesus kind of messed that up because he said, if you've lusted in your heart toward another person, you've already committed adultery. And so it's like, oh man, that gets us again. And 
Don't covet what your neighbor has. You ever looked over and saw that car, that house, or whatever that is, and wish you had that? They said, don't covet. That's one of the things. Don't spread false rumors about your neighbor. Uh, don't tell lies about people or spread false things about them, gossip about them. Well, that's eight. I mean, I can go through all 10. I don't know how you're doing on the list. The truth is, if you do one of these, you really get put on the naughty list, which means basically all of us in here are on the naughty list. And here's the common misperception is that if I'm on the naughty list, you know, if I just do enough good things, then I will get off the naughty list and get back onto the good list. But God never said that. And, and the truth is, there's no way we can ever do enough good things because we have a difficult time stopping doing their own things. And so it's always this give and take and it feels like this endless cycle, like a treadmill that we're on, always trying to get back on the good list. And when you look at the scripture, and I talked about this in the first week of the series, the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament, it could pretty much be described with the word presence. In other words, the people were constantly coming before God and presenting sacrifices to God. And as they presented these sacrifices, it was in a way to say, God, we're sorry. And God would say, okay, I see your sacrifice. You're forgiven. But that had to be ongoing. So daily, yearly, people were presenting, bringing their presence to God, saying, I'm sorry. And God would say, I forgive you. And then they would start doing things again. They had to bring presence again. So it was all about this cycle of, I'm sorry, God forgives. Here's my present. On and on and on it goes, which is in a lot of ways the way we view God today, right? That, that if, if I'm on this bad list, this naughty list, if I do enough good things, maybe I'll get off of it. Well, the New Testament comes along and with the Christmas story at the beginning of the New Testament, we see God starting to relate to us as human beings in a different, different way. Uh, this endless cycle of presenting these sacrifices was really never the way God had intended it to be. And so with the New Testament, we see a different word that's taking over and it's no longer presence, it's gifts. And what we find starting with the Christmas story is that God gave a gift to the world through his son. And through that gift, we have the opportunity to receive other gifts that God makes available to us. And those gifts can change our lives. Those gifts, if we really were to take, and we're going to look at a passage today. It's actually a passage we read the very first week. We're going to look at it a little bit more in depth today. But, but if we really take this passage and we allow it to go from our head to our heart, it can radically change our lives. It can change the way we relate to other people. It can change the way we view God. It can change the level of joy that we have in our life. It can change the level of love that we feel toward others and forgiveness and things like that. If we would allow these words that we're going to read today to go from our head to our heart, it can radically change our lives and maybe allow us to live lives that are not stuck like so often we get into. And the passage we're gonna look at is in the New Testament book of Galatians. And Galatians was written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, to give you a little bit of information about him, and it really does help with this passage, Paul is a guy that grew up in church. He grew up in a great church, the best church under the best leaders. He grew up knowing and understanding the law of God, the Old Testament law. He had memorized most of those things. He was zealous for keeping the law. 
and really did view himself as being on God's side. And by, by positioning himself to be on God's side, he looked at Jesus and felt like Jesus, there's no way he could be from God. Because of the way I know God, the way I relate to God, Jesus can't be from God. And so all of the followers of Jesus cannot be from God. And so he personally was involved in arresting many of them and seeing them actually murdered. But then he had a personal encounter with Jesus. And he came to this understanding that doing good things does not really get me in good with God. Because that's not the way God sees it. And that's not the way God really had designed it to be. And so you look at the perspective. Here's Paul's perspective as he writes these words today. Paul's perspective is, I've been there. I've done this thing. I've been on this treadmill. And I did it better than most anybody that will ever do it. I kept the laws. I knew the laws. I positioned myself in such a way that God, I was on God's good side. I was on God's good list. I did all of those things only to find out that it wasn't enough. And that I was trying to keep this cycle going. And God never really intended for me to be on this cycle. And so understanding that perspective, I want us to look at these words that he writes. It's in the book of Galatians, starting in chapter four, and here's what he says. He says, but when the right time came, and this is uh, the, the, the basically that phrase there, it's in the fullness of time, when the time fully came. In other words, there was a time marked on God's calendar for when he would invade time and space, send his son into this world. It had been 400 years that God had been silent. We talked about that the very first week. That the end of the Old Testament, there was a 400 year period where God didn't speak. There were no prophets for God that were speaking on his behalf. No books were written for the Bible. He was silent for 400 years. And at the end of that time, God finally spoke. For 400 years, the Jews had been waiting on Messiah. The world had been waiting on a savior. And when that time had fully come and the time marked off on God's calendar, this is the date. Jesus came. And here's what it says. The verse keeps going. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Said God sent his son into this world, born of a woman, subject to the law. What does all that mean? It means that Jesus came into this world like we come into this world living and being required to live under the standards that were set by God's law. So all of humanity at that time, all the Jewish people, they were living, trying to live up to the standard of, of God's law and basically the 10 commandments and all the surrounding laws that went with the 10 commandments. And they're trying to live up to all these things. And it says, Jesus came in and he said, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the same thing. The standard has been set, the standard of measurement has been set, I'm gonna live under those standards. And you can hold me accountable whether I'm obedient or disobedient to the laws of God that have been set in place. He said, I'm not going to try to live outside of what you've been required to live. I'm going to live under those same things. And yet the scripture says he did that without sinning. He did that without breaking any of God's laws. And because of that, he's able to offer us gifts that we'll begin to see in these next verses. Gifts that come along with the relationship with him. And more so of what God intended for us to experience in that relationship. And these are gifts that presented itself through that first Christmas when Jesus came into the world. Now, talking about gifts, you know what I was thinking about? People that have December birthdays, you really get gypped, don't you? 
Because, man, I mean, you have to roll your birthday in with Christmas, right? It's like, hey, birthday, Merry Christmas. You know, it's like, okay, well, thanks, you know. And you usually get gypped, but not today. Because I want to give somebody a gift today. Has anybody got a birthday that's happening today? Anybody's birthday today? Just raise your hand because I got something good. Anybody today? No, 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 no. Does anybody have a birthday on December 25th? Oh, I got two. I got two. All right. I got, so, so who raised their hand over here again? All right. So I got a number. But if I just got two, I got a number between one and 10. What are you holding up? Seven? It was actually seven. That was the number. So come on up. Come on up. It's a $100 Visa check card. Enjoy. Happy birthday. <laughs> and Merry Christmas. Uh, see, we give good gifts here at the bridge. You need to be here each week. We do this every Sunday if this day's your first time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, so Paul is talking about these gifts that we receive in a relationship with Jesus. So he keeps going. Here's what he says. He said, God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So the very first gift that we see is that, the, that, that in a relationship with Jesus, what he came to do is the gift of freedom. See, we have freedom in a relationship with Jesus. So like, what does that mean? Well, the, the reality is when you look again at the scripture, the scripture really sets up this premise that, that God has these laws, God has these standards, and that we really struggle to keep those standards. Like, like we're not really good law keepers, we're pretty good law breakers. Now, before you get offended, um, let me just suggest to you that, that we're not good at even keeping our own rules and laws, right, and boundaries. I mean, much less God. So, like, how many Januaries have you gone through where you said, I'm going to set these New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do this, do this and by February, like next year. Next year, I'm going to do it, right? These are things that you put in place. Nobody forced you to come up with things that you were going to do with dieting and exercising and reading and whatever, and, you know, in your business, whatever you're going to do. And you didn't, you weren't able to keep those in January, you know, much less the rest of the year. So we're really not very good at even keeping our own rules, our own laws, much less laws that God has put in place. And when you look at society, specifically our society here in Western uh, civilization, most of the laws that permeate our society come from biblical mandates. Now you can do that research yourself. But the laws that we have in place in our land really come mostly from the scripture. So God's laws permeate all of our society. And if we're not very good at keeping the laws of the land, then essentially we're not really good at keeping God's laws either. And it really begins to help us understand that, yeah, we're not really good law keepers. We are pretty good law breakers. And every time, here's a little principle. Every time we break a law, we create a debt relationship with the lawgiver. Whoever created the law, every time we break it, we create a debt relationship with that particular lawmaker or lawgiver. It doesn't matter if it's in, an, in a, uh, a club or an association. It doesn't matter if it's in a community. It doesn't matter if it's in a, a state. 
if it's in a nation, whenever we break whatever the law is of that group, we create this debt relationship. Let me give you an example. Maybe you have been ticketed for speeding before, okay? You won't acknowledge that in here because we're in church. You can't acknowledge those kind of things. But I, let's just say, have, have gotten one or two in my life, all right? And, and every time I get a ticket, I have this feeling like, first of all, I'm aggravated. Secondly, I don't, I don't feel like it's justified. You know, I feel like this was, there was a problem here. I don't know why they have to pull me over, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the truth is, I was speeding, all right? I was breaking the law. It didn't matter if it was one mile over or more than one mile over. I was breaking the law. And as soon as I got that ticket, you know what happened? I created a debt relationship with the county clerk. And they wanted me to pay. I, I've never called them and they said, you know what? You're such a good guy. Just don't worry about paying this time. You're no debt here. Everything's wiped off. Nope, nope, nope. Never happened. They want me to pay every time because I've broken a law and I created a debt relationship with the people who made the law. And that's true with God's laws as well. That when we break laws that God has in place, we've created a debt relationship. It's a debt that we have a hard time paying. Now we try to pay it because every time we do good deeds, Every time we're trying, to, we're trying to pay off these things I've done wrong in my life. And see, we have this, this, this relationship with God because whether you believe in God or believe in God's laws or not, we all have this sense of morality that I believe is kind of the thumbprint of God on our life. We have this sense of right and wrong and we know that we do wrong many times, maybe not more than we do right or maybe more than we do right. And by default, we create this debt relationship with the one who created that, the morality within us, the laws that we've breaking. And so the scripture says we have a debt relationship with God. That's why, this, that's why the scripture says he came to buy our freedom for those of us who are slaves to the law. Now, you might not feel enslaved to the law, but what he's talking about is when we create that debt relationship, like I've done so many bad things, I can't really do enough good things because every time I try to do good things, I keep doing bad things and I keep adding to the debt and I can't ever get it paid off. I'm now slave to that debt that I owe God. And I can't pay it off. You see, a slave will always have a difficult time buying their own freedom. Typically, for freedom to be granted, it has to be purchased by someone else. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus came to buy our freedom, a freedom that we could not purchase on our own. But someone had to step in and buy our freedom for us. And when Jesus gave his life for you and for me, in that relationship with him, we surrender our hearts to him. He's paid off our debt, a debt that we can never pay off. And we now have freedom not from keeping certain laws. It's not that we now can just go, okay, hey, I've got a relationship with Jesus. I can just live however I want to. No, 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 no. The freedom is not from living at a certain standard. The freedom is from being weighted down by the guilt of not being able to keep all of those laws. In Christ, we no longer have to be weighted down by the guilt of that because our freedom has been purchased. And we have a different relationship to the law. He says the first thing that you need to understand, the first gift 
that gets presented to us at Christmas is the gift of freedom. And he keeps going. Here's what he says in verse five. He says, God sent him to buy our freedom for those of us who are slaves to law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That he could adopt us as his very own children. In other words, what this is saying is that God was not satisfied with just paying off our debt. He was not satisfied with simply buying our freedom. See, not only do we have the gift of freedom, but the second gift that he offers through Jesus is the gift of adoption. The gift of adoption. See, God says, you know what? I've paid off your debt. You are now free from being under the penalty of the law, the judgment that comes with the law. But I want more than just to buy your freedom. I want a relationship with you. You see, you can be forgiven by someone and not have a relationship with them. A judge can sit on the, on the bench, ruling over your case, whatever it is, and look at you and say, you know what? You are guilty of this, but I, I'm, I'm setting you free. You don't have to pay it. Your debt has been paid. Don't worry about it. You're free to go. It's been forgiven. You've been granted freedom. You've been granted forgiveness, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you want a relationship with the judge, and it for sure doesn't mean the judge wants a relationship with you. He or she has just granted your freedom and forgiveness. That's it. But see, God stands back and says, I have granted your freedom. You're no longer under the penalty or the judgment of the law, but you know what? I want more. I want a relationship with you. And so I've decided to adopt you. That's my very own. Now, when we hear the term adoption in our culture, we automatically begin thinking of babies or toddlers cute little moments. But adoption in the Roman world, in which Paul is writing, had nothing to do with babies and toddlers. In fact, they would never think to adopt a baby or a toddler. There are too many unknowns about this baby or toddler. We don't know the genetics of this child. We don't know what they're going to turn out to be. There are too many variables, too many unknowns. Not looking for something to raise. Adoption was a totally different thing in this particular culture. In the Roman world, they only adopted adults. Now you're like, that's weird. It is in one way, but not in the way that they viewed it. You see, if you were wealthy in the Roman world and you were getting older and you were about to pass away and you were thinking about the estate and what you're going to pass on and you're looking around at your heirs, you're looking around at your own kids and you don't see any of them that are worthy to take on this, you know, you're sitting there thinking, I'm not leaving all this stuff to these crackheads. So I'm looking for somebody else. And what they would do then is they would go out and they would find some responsible adult and they would begin a relationship with that adult and eventually adopt them as their child to pass on the estate, to pass on all their worldly fortunes and have them carry on whatever, you know, the, 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 the person was involved in, have them carry that on. But they would adopt as adults, not as children. Now, I want you to translate that over into what Paul is saying to you and to me. Paul is looking at us as adults and he's saying that God chooses to, adult, uh, to adopt you. Not in your infancy state when you've done nothing wrong, but when you're fully grown with all your faults, all your baggage, all your problems, all your broken promises, all your inconsistencies, all the times you've hurt people, 
all of the stuff that you tuck away that many people don't even know about. All of the things that you look at when you look in the mirror and you detest about yourself. God says, that's the person I choose. Not the person I'm stuck with. I'm not like obligated like, oh, okay, you received Jesus. All right, I guess you can be one of mine. No, 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 no. God says, no, I choose you. Yeah, I see all of the stuff in your life. I see all the problems. I see all the things you've done. And I still choose you. I want you to be my heir. And not an heir to some worldly fame or wealth but an heir to heavenly riches, an heir to my throne. I choose you. Just let that flood you for a moment. Let that penetrate your heart for a moment. That the God of the universe would not only choose you to have a relationship with his son, but would choose you to become an heir to his throne. And not only that, the scripture keeps going. Paul keeps talking about this. And he says, and because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And the scripture teaches that when we say yes to Jesus, when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we say, I want you to be my savior, that God sends his Holy Spirit to live within us. You say, how do I know if I'm really a believer? How do I know if, if I've really, if, if Jesus is really my savior because God's spirit comes to live within you and things about you begin to change because of the spirit of God living in you. And one of the things it says is that when God's spirit lives within you, it prompts us to say, to call out to God, Abba, Father. You say, well, what is that with the Abba, Father thing? Well, in the Greek language, what the New Testament is written in, there are various terms that you can use for the, for the, you know, dad or for father. But there's not a very tender, affectionate word for father. And so Paul reaches back to the Aramaic language and brings it, this expression in. and says that God wants to be known as Abba, father, which is the most tender form of expression that, we, that they had for the word father. And it really means daddy. It's really, uh, the setting would be in a home in a very tender moment of expression of daddy. It, it's the expression that Jesus used on the night that he was betrayed and the night that he was arrested. And right before he was arrested, he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to his father and he was talking about, if it's possible for this, this what's about to happen to be taken from me, then will you let that happen? But not my will, but yours. But what he would say is, Abba, Father, if it's possible that this doesn't happen, please take it from me. He cries out, Daddy, Daddy, if it's possible. And so taking from this, Paul says, this is the way God wants to know you. Not simply as judge, forgiver, master, Savior, not even simply as Father. He wants to be known as Abba, Father. He wants to have a relationship with you that is so close 
that you're no longer viewing him as this God up in the sky, though there's a, an aspect of, of us being in awe of his majesty, but God wants you to know him in such a tender way that you have your freedom from the law and the penalty of the law, and you've been adopted as one of his very own so that you can call him dad or daddy. That's not the last gift. There's another gift that Paul talks about. And here's what he says. Verse seven, he says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. He says, see, the relationship has changed. You're no longer to have this relationship like a slave and the taskmaster, but as father and a child. And so the last gift he talks about here is a gift of a future. The gift of a future. See, when we view God in this taskmaster kind of way, you know, where God is looking at us saying, you know what, you do these five things, and if you do those right, and you come back, after that, I'll give you three more things. If you do those right, then these two things, and you keep doing these things right, maybe we can have a relationship. And so often, that's the way we view God. That God is sitting up there, and he's keeping a tally. And he's checking off things we're doing right, checking off things we're doing wrong. And if we don't do enough things right, then man, it's going to be bad and there's retribution and there's fear. And he's saying, I don't want you to view me that way because our relationship has changed. You're no longer a slave to my law. Now you're my child. And there's a difference in being a child and being a slave. Because see, a slave does things out of fear. A slave does things out of obedience because there's fear of punishment, fear of judgment and retribution if I don't. But a child does things just to honor the father. You've loved me so well. You've provided so many things for me. I just want to do these things just to honor who you are. I don't fear you because in 1 John, further in the New Testament, chapter 4, verse 18, it talks about there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. That when that perfect love is there, you no longer fear that relationship. And that relationship is no longer based out of fear. And so when you think about your relationship with God, when you think about the prayers you pray, the things you think about, if any of those prayers or any of those thoughts are similar to saying, God, I know you want me to do this and I'm so sorry and I promise I won't ever do it again. I'm, 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 I don't, you know, please withhold your punishment. Any of those kinds of thoughts, God is like, you don't get it. You don't get it. You are no longer a slave. You are my child. And I am your Abba Father. You don't have to fear me. You don't have to do these things because of some fear of retribution. I love you. I want the best for you. And there may be correction along the way, but it's not punishment. It's because I love you. And that perfect love begins to cast away the fears that we have. And God says, listen, in this relationship, you have a future. You are unconditionally loved. You are fully forgiven and fully accepted. 
and you have a permanent home in heaven with me when you die and you are heirs to the throne of everything that I have. That's a future. It's the future of a child. It's the future of an heir. You see, God sent Jesus that first Christmas as his gift to the world. But in that relationship, we have the gift of freedom, the gift of adoption, the gift of a future. We've been forgiven. We're free. And really the bottom line message of, of Christmas is that God sent his son so that you could become his child. God sent his son so that you could become his child, full heir to the throne and to everything that he has. If we could really ever wrap our minds and our heart around the way God views this adoption, I think it would change us. Because the scripture talks about that God the Father rejoices, dances over us, rejoices when we choose him to be our father. I want to show you a video that maybe begins to capture a little bit of that when this boy ask a dad, not his biological dad, to adopt him. Check this out. Drennan, I have so much fun with you. You are always there for me. And you're always nice to me. Unless you're hungry. LOL. You have invested time to teach me how to be a man. And to help me be the best that I can be. I know that it isn't always easy. I know I have a Father in Heaven that loves me. But I'm thankful for you and the love and support that you give me every day. You are hard on me, but I know it's because you love me. And you want me to learn lessons and achieve great things someday. So, this Christmas, I want to ask you if I could be your only boy officially. Will you please adopt me? The video goes on for a little while, but the thing he had there in his lap were the official adoption papers. And his emotion, he, he continued. Um, he was just overwhelmed in that moment. The guy was the man. 
And that begins at least a little bit to catch some of what God feels when we say yes. God, we want you to be our Father. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what things have you stuck today. But I know this. If you have never said yes to Jesus to be your Savior, you've never been able to experience the freedom and the love and the future that comes through a relationship with God the Father. And I would encourage you today, right there where you are, to say yes to Him. And I want to give you a moment to do that. Would you bow your head with me? If there's never been a time when you said yes to Jesus to be your Savior, I'm going to lead you just to pray a simple prayer that you'd pray there in your heart. And listen, the Bible never says that a prayer makes you a child of God. There's nothing magical about this prayer. The Bible talks about it's your faith. Believing that Jesus is exactly who he says he is and that he came to do exactly what he said he would do. And so it's the faith that you have in your heart, not the words that you say. And I just encourage you to, if you've never done this, just simply pray something like this from your heart. Jesus, I know that I'm not a good law keeper. I'm not a good rule keeper. And I've broken many of your rules. And I know that you call that sin. And I acknowledge that I've sinned. And Jesus, I know that you died not just for the sins of the world, but for my sin. And so today, I ask you to be my Savior. I ask you to give me freedom from the guilt and the shame and the regrets that I feel in my heart. And I pray that I would begin to understand what it really means to be adopted by my Heavenly Father. Help me to live for you every day. Thank you for saving me. And God, I pray right now for anyone, anyone who's opened up their heart and said yes to you, said yes to Jesus in this moment. I pray that just as we read in the scripture a moment ago, that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would come to live within them 
And while they may not understand all of what that means, they know something has changed. And I pray it would be so tangible and so real in this moment. And they would understand fully. I may not know what all it means to be a child of God, but I know that I am. God, today would be the day that changes everything about their life. That you would give them the strength to live for you. And I pray that for all of us, that you'd give us the strength to live the way that you call us to live. To live in such a way that just makes much of who you are. Thank you so much. Father, for the gift of Jesus and all the gifts that a relationship with Jesus brings into our life. We love you. And we're so thankful for the lives that have been changed in here today because of your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.